Well, hello everyone. I'm your host, Cindy Ketzel. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Nine to Thrive HR. In this podcast, we team up with experts to bring you the best in HR, talent management, and business strategy. And we have been so, so grateful to hear from many of you over the last year and keep it up. We'd love to continue to hear from you. If you have a specific topic, an idea, a presenter that you'd love to hear on 9 to Thrive, please send us an email at podcasts at hci.org. You all, I am so very excited. I just had a really lovely conversation with our guest to be here, uh, Dr. Richard Safir, and I'm so excited to have him on with us today. But before we dive into it, I want to share a little bit with you about his resume so you get an idea of why I'm so excited. For the past 20 years, we call Dr. Safir Richard a workplace health pioneer and thought leader and he has assessed cultures, trained leaders, and conducted and explored research on the intersection of individual and organizational behavior. He currently serves as the Chief Medical Director of Employee Health and Wellbeing for Johns Hopkins Medicine, where he leads the Healthy at Hopkins, I love that title, Employee Health and Wellbeing Strategy, Previously, he was the medical director of preventative medicine for Care First Blue Cross Blue Shield in Baltimore, Maryland. We are so delighted that uh, he is with us here today because just recently, Richard released a cure for the common company, a well-being prescription for a happier, healthier, and more resilient workforce, a great book that came out this year. He's the first author to provide a step-by-step roadmap for creating a well-being culture that integrates science with practical solutions as demonstrated by the numerous real stories from successful companies. All right. He is a fellow of the American Academy of Family Medicine, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, and the American College of Preventative Medicine. He serves on the New England Journal of Medicine Catalyst Insight Council and previously served on the board of directors for the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. Whoo! I mean, that is a career, sir. (laughs) We're so delighted to have you here with us today. It's great to be here, Cindy. Yeah, we're so happy. And you all, like I said, Richard and I were chatting before we got into this conversation. And just kind of talking about what I was real curious about with him. And so we're going to start with the question that I was most curious about. So here's my question for you. Long before this idea of being a steward of employee well-being was probably thought of or really discussed in the workplace, you really saw the value in it. So my curiosity is, how did this journey begin for you? What drew you to this way of thinking when it wasn't really a popular way to think? Yeah, I certainly never thought of going this direction when I was in medical school. I was uh, trained in family medicine and thought I'd be a practicing physician for my entire career. It didn't take long, though, before I realized that most of the patients that I was seeing would really benefit by having more time to learn how to have healthy habits and learn how to have more positive emotions. I really couldn't provide that in my 15-minute appointments with them. 
The other thing I realized is that most of the people, the adults that I was seeing were coming from their workplace and trying to squeeze in the doctor's appointment during the work day. And many of them had the same response that, well, I don't have time to cook a healthy dinner because when I get home from work, I got to help the kids with the homework and things of that nature. And it got me to thinking that I only see my patients for 15 or 30 minutes and maybe once or twice a year. And they're at their job almost every day of the year. So who's more likely to influence and support healthy habits and positive emotions, me or their workplace? And the answer was clear to me. It's actually the workplace. And that's how I made the pivot. Well, first of all, what a realization, right? I mean, like you said, this wasn't your plan, but sometimes the best laid plans. Yes. (laughs) Um, your terminology about where really are we instilling those healthy habits and those positive emotions? It's where we spend the majority of our day. So I love your catchphrase there. Go ahead. I mean, absolutely. Um, I will remind managers uh, regularly, they have so much more influence on the health and well-being of their employees than a physician does. We just never think of it that way. And I hope that listeners today will appreciate that very fact and make sure that they prioritize this important topic because it's not just about getting the work done. It's really about our health and well-being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a far more holistic approach to the employee. I just really quickly can remember having conversations with my mom and uh she was born in 45. In one of her roles, she served as like a telephone operator, right? So you just had, you know, those big boards where you had sure. to plug in, which is unfathomable to me. <laughs> I cannot <laughs> right. even imagine it. But, you know, she always says like, I just would go to work. I would do my job. That's all you did. That's all, you know, you just went in, you did your job and you left. And so we have these conversations about what I'm doing and what I'm interested in. And, you know, just even in her mindset, it blows her mind when she thinks back to a very pivotal, you know, enter into the career force for her and how different it is all of these years later. So you're right. We've begun this we spend most of our day at work, right? That's where it can start for us, right? It doesn't have to be that 15 minute. Like you said, really, we're not going to do much in the 15 minutes while they're at the doctor's office. That's correct. That's oh correct. my gosh. Well, so at least maybe this is a little bit of a level set too. And I know that it's really, a lot of organizations are talking about this right now. I certainly suspect that as I ask you this next question, it's not going to come as a big surprise to people, but Paint for us, how do you envision, and I know you probably kind of can lean on your what you just shared just now, but when you speak of this culture of health, which I love that terminology too, what does that look like? What stands that up for us when we're in a workplace? So culture has been used a lot. You know, culture of safety became a popular phrase, I think, in the 60s and 70s as workplaces started to... Uh, take a much more uh, concerted effort to avoid workplace injuries. And there's other ways to use culture in the workplace, but culture of health really became more popular in the past decade. If I can show my cynical side, I think some of it was prompted by the wellness industry when workplace wellness uh, started to you know, be exposed that it was falling short 
uh, in many different ways. Not in all ways, but in many different ways. Culture, according to Webster's Dictionary, and I grew up at a time where dictionaries were on paper, is the shared beliefs, behaviors, and attitudes of a common group of people. And a culture of health in the workplace is the shared behaviors, beliefs, and attitudes of the workforce around health. And there are a number of different ways to intentionally shape that culture. When I hear you say shared attitude, one of the, when I was reading a little bit more about you, one of your building blocks around this topic is around shared value. So is that where that kind of comes into play as well? Yeah, the foundation, in my opinion, for creating a well-being culture at work or a culture of health at work is based on six building blocks. Shared values is one of them. Shared values being those values that are important both to the employer as well as to the employee. Too often, an organization's core values are written by a board of directors or the C-suite, and too often they focus on profits, um, what the shareholder is going to get out of it, and the core values leave out what's important for employees. It's well-documented in Richard Barrett's book, uh, I think it's called The Values-Driven Organization, that companies that have core values that support health and well-being are much more likely to be successful on many different levels. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And again, I'm just going, that word intentional to me really struck me um, being intentional about it. So obviously one of those building blocks, the foundation there is shared values. What else When you think of that word being intentional, what else does that mean for organizations or leaders or HR? Well, I mean, it's not enough to write shared values. (laughs) Organizations really need to practice them. Uh, I'm reminded by a company called Enron. You might recall (laughs) that they were a bit. Yeah, a a little bit of a big company at one point and uh, on a meteoric rise uh, in stock value. Well, one of their, um, I don't remember all of their core values, but I remember one of their core values was integrity. And obviously, uh, for those listeners who aren't familiar with Enron, they basically committed fraud and they lied their way toward profits, at least shareholder profits. And um, that, you know, obviously is the opposite of integrity. Yeah, gosh, they weren't following their own values. Yeah, I mean, you know, and and the other common shortcoming that a company experiences with core values is that they're often embraced by the senior leadership team, but, you know, the frontline teams rarely discuss them. And without reminding each other in some regular way of what the core values are, it's easy to forget what they are. And it's easy to forget how to go through your workday. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a good reminder for us. As I was just listening to you, you know, I think another big topic that I feel is, you know, somewhat related to this idea of a culture of health or employee well-being is around recognition and, you know, awards and rewards or what have you, whatever language you want to use for that. And and the same just runs through my mind is that same strategy that's involved when we talk about that in an organization is, but what do the people want? 
right? It's, yes. it's not just about what the executives want or the board wants. What do the people want? And so it just reminds me of that when you're mentioning that too. It's a good reminder for myself and for listeners that we do have to remember there's a front line there that they're actually, they're doing the work. They're the boots on the ground. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Now you've had a lot of great podcast guests and you know, the listeners have so many choices about what they want to pursue and it's going to be pretty difficult to pursue everything. What I provide is a framework from which to build your health and well-being strategy and it consists of six building blocks. You brought up one of them, shared values. So, Cindy, if you don't mind, I'd like to share just very brief. Okay, great. Yes, do it. I think the way to remember this is uh, an acronym that took me a little time to figure out. It's almost like playing Wordle. There's uh, an acronym to that? I figured out an acronym. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, great. I figured out the acronym uh, after I wrote the book, unfortunately. Of course you did. That's how it goes. (laughs) So the phrase that we're going to build off of is plan for success. So the P in plan is for peer support. The L in plan is for leadership engagement. And the N in plan is for norms. And then there's the you know small word for, plan for success. So the first S in success is the shared values, as you mentioned. And the two Cs in the middle, that stands for culture connection points. And then the last S in success is a building block I call social climate. Whoa, that is, I mean, that is a whole other podcast of how you did that, but that is amazing. And it's a really easy phrase to remember. So talk us through it. Oh, sure. Um, Yeah. Like you said, uh, any one of these building blocks uh, could be its own podcast. And yes, the whole thought process about how to create an acronym, yes, could be another podcast. But peer support, really, I can't say enough about it. And uh, Christakis and Fowler wrote a book called Connected. And if you're really interested in the science behind peer support, that's a great book to start with. Uh, You know, this is not a science book that I wrote, Cindy, but I do base the book on science because I don't want people to think that I'm just guessing here. So peer support can be about supporting our coworkers to maintain or build healthy habits, but it can also be about helping our coworkers have positive emotions during the day. And it can even just be the simple act of being a good listener. So there's a lot to explore there. Leadership engagement. Leaders are really responsible for all six building blocks, but there are some special responsibilities that leaders have on their own. Cindy, you mentioned showing recognition and appreciation, and that's absolutely on the shoulders of a good leader. And I would consider that amongst many good management skills. And so there's a whole set of management skills that have been tied to more employee health and well-being, but it doesn't stop there. It's also about removing barriers to well-being during the workday. It's about being a role model for health and well-being because when the boss demonstrates healthy habits during the day, it's more likely for the employees 
to demonstrate healthy habits. It's about celebrating steps forward in our health and well-being journey. Uh, the N in norms, norms are the expected behaviors of a group of people. And we start learning about norms from a very early age in preschool, if you can believe that or not, Cindy. We tend to conform to the norm that's in the workplace or in our religious institution or at home. And team leaders can intentionally shape norms so that they're healthier rather than unhealthy norms in the workplace. We talked about shared values. Culture connection points are a set of ways that the employer or the manager interacts with the employee. How do we nudge our employees to make healthier choices? Uh, you mentioned rewards, Cindy. One way is overtly having incentives, but incentives don't have to be cash in your pocket. And so even just getting the desirable parking spot in the company parking lot, which could be on the opposite side, could be a culture connection point. And lastly, the social climate is about how we feel in the workplace. Do we feel like we belong? Do we feel connected? Do we feel included? Is it a happy place to work? Or is it toxic? Do we feel like the people we work with are out to get us so that they can get ahead? So I unpack all of those in the book, A Cure for the Common Company. You know, I'm really excited for folks to have an opportunity if they so desire to dig into that, because I agree with you. Yes, it could be probably a several series podcast, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure more than just one more. But just as you were reading through these, I'm just nodding my head and and it really does encompass where I think employers um, or organizations, maybe they're not there yet, but are striving to be. I do think we're in a time frame that more and more organizations are putting an emphasis on the idea of a culture of health with some positive light. So I'm excited for folks to check that out in your, yeah. in your book that came out this year. Yeah, I'm sorry it took a pandemic to push employers to finally make a genuine wholehearted thrust forward. But you know um, what? Yeah. I agree. But sometimes, right, yep. it takes crisis. I mean, sometimes yeah. that's how things change. Yeah, absolutely. This culture building doesn't happen overnight. Like it's really easy to put up a a webinar about making healthy food choices, but it's really not so easy. This is nothing short of organizational change and leadership development. Yep. And you have to stay on it and be committed. To, I think that going back to the conversation about values, people have to be committed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There has to be, a, in my opinion, there has to be a commitment, even to your point, like who owns those values. But either way, there has to be a commitment from the top to the bottom yeah. and everywhere in between. But where do we drive the commitment? We do drive the commitment with our leadership and our HR team supporting those leaders. I mean, that's where a lot of this commitment is going to be embedded. Yes. Yeah, sometimes I'm asked, hey, if I only have time for one thing, what should I do? One of my more common answers is put well-being on your team agenda so that you have a space for it every time that you have a regularly scheduled team meeting. And that way, when you're planning that meeting and you see, okay, there's the placeholder for well-being, what are we going to do that day? What's the topic? 
What's the plan? That shows your team that you are committed to the topic. It forces you as the team leader to have to think through, well, where are we even with well-being? How is the team doing? And it really can lead to additional steps forward. And I really appreciate, Richard, that you brought up that it's not overnight. I had a group, a corporate group, come through a strategic talent acquisition class with HCI, and I was fortunate to lead it for them. And what I was hearing was some of what you're saying, right? It lifted itself because of the last two years. But what was so cool is we had people from a lot of different levels in the organization and tenure. And the folks who'd been there with longer tenure were saying, right, to some of the other folks that were, which which I always love when it's a corporate group because, well, it can go either way. But I appreciate it because you can have some transparency. And so the person that was on with tenure was talking about some of the well-being and the benefits changes and, you know, what they were trying to do to embrace that holistic approach to, you know, employees joining their organization. But, you know, and I could hear in that person's voice, like, I know it's been a long time coming. It's been a long time coming, but it's a good reminder that progress is progress. Yes. It could be very, very slow, but, you know, and I know we get tired. Uh I know we get tired, but progress is progress. Yeah. And there are ways to be intentional so that your progress goes more quickly. And so I do include information about the diffusion of innovation theory uh, in the book about how to have good ideas move more quickly. Again, this is not a science book. (laughs) There's lots of stories that's engaging, but we do have to draw on science to be effective. I do include a couple of uh, reminders about Cotter's eight stages of organizational change. Um, This is really the way to get started and create that foundation. Yeah, it's so important, which you and I spoke before, and we could spend a lot more time talking about all of these topics than we have time for. But that does make me want to ask this question, and maybe it is just what is a roadblock, but we're talking about change. We're talking about progress. We're talking about seeing this vision and being committed to it. What are you seeing over your years, that what are some of those roadblocks for organizations to meet this concept of the culture of health? Yeah, this is such an important topic that I have a whole chapter called Culture Killers. Um, (laughs) I think I've got nine in that chapter about what, you know, can really cause a problem. So one thing is that often companies go too fast. They don't think through the steps thoroughly. This kind of harkens back to this idea that there's a science behind organizational change and that it's more complicated than it may look. And so that you do need to be intentional and methodical in planning forward. Another culture killer is when people build a well-being strategy based off of their personal experiences because they think, you know, I'm healthy and therefore everyone should do what I'm doing. And that's a big mistake. You know, if you have a thousand people in your organization, that means you have a thousand different well-being journeys. And so you really need to create the conditions in which everybody feels supported and everybody's going about this slightly different because we're all different people. Uh, The third one, and I'll stop there so that we uh, have something to read later, is, you know, don't forget about the work itself. 
we have to address the work itself in the context of how much joy and benefit does it bring to our well-being as opposed to how much harm is it causing us and whether or not the person doing the work is well-matched. That is a huge topic that needs to be addressed. Uh, Culture killers. Yeah. (laughs) Such a hard topic. Oh, yes. Yeah. And tough, right? Tough, especially because as I'm hearing you talk, I think about how ingrained some of these roadblocks culture killers are for organizations. Right. So some of this can be done at the team level, but some of it really has to be done centrally. Yep. Agree. Something that you mentioned, um, the word that popped into my head was inclusion, right? So how do you balance that, right? Because I would want to be mindful that everybody has their own journey. I think you gave the example of, you know, a person that's putting the strategy together because they're doing it based on their experience. But we have to remember, you know, we've got 500, 10,000, 50,000 people in an organization. Any tips on that, on being just more inclusive as you're thinking through it? Well, I mean, inclusivity, I consider that part of the social climate building block. And yeah, there's three elements in building a good social climate. Um, Just a reminder, the social climate is how we feel within our team and within our organization. So those three elements are creating the sense of community or inclusion, creating a positive workspace, and making sure everyone's sharing the same work goals so that people feel like they're rowing in the same direction. That sense of inclusion, it can be built in so many different ways. I mean, even the simple act of getting to know the coworkers or the people on your team through normal questions that you'd ask at a cocktail party, like, oh, do you have any hobbies? Do you have a pet? You know, and we got to slow down a little bit. You know what? This reminds me, one of your um, former podcast guests, uh, Ryan, talked about social connectedness and um, a great episode for your listeners to listen to after this one. So there's no shortage of ways to create inclusivity. Yeah. You know, you remind me as I talk to colleagues of mine that are internal to organizations today. And and now that you're saying that, I'm like, oh, you know what I am hearing as they are hiring folks, as leaders are hiring folks, they are starting to ask those questions right up front. It may feel a little route, right? When you're a new hire and your boss might be saying, what are your hobbies? What's your favorite food? And I get that. But I think the intention behind that is one of, I want to know you. And then if I'm going to, uh, you know, show appreciation and maybe the appreciation is a gift card somewhere, right? That I know what your interests are. And sure, it goes beyond that. You know, surely it just all also just gives you an idea. Oh, they are taking up knitting this year. I've been wanting to do that. You know, it does give you that additional connection. But as you said that, I'm like, I'm hearing that from colleagues of mine that has become a very intentional part of employees joining their organization. So I think along those lines a little bit. Yep. Yep. Well, We are almost to time, and I knew this would be such a fast conversation, and we'd probably leave so much on the table, but I'm so glad that you were able to share 
because um, I did want to make sure we were able to pull out your building blocks and that they have an acronym. That is my favorite <laughs> piece of information. Good, um, good. But we are so excited that you had your book come out this year, A Cure for the Common Company. How are you excited about that? I'm, I'm, this is your first, right? Yeah, this is the first. It's super exciting. I feel really good about the book. I feel great that it's a readable book. So I read books. So when I was writing this book, I made a concerted effort to make sure that what I was writing would be not only informative, but also enjoyable and getting great feedback, have some wonderful endorsements from uh, people like Marshall Goldsmith and Daniel Pink and some other wonderful leaders. Awesome. Well, I love that. Well, hey, if you don't mind, when I was learning a little bit more about you, I came across something that you had said in an article, but it was earlier in the year, you were commenting on the United States workforce work culture. And you'd said, I think the younger generation is making that decision for us. They are voting with their feet. I was like, that is the statement. They're not staying put in organizations that don't respect work-life boundaries, and they're not tolerating managers who don't care for them as individuals. Yeah, I remember writing that. I don't remember where. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a powerful statement. Yeah, and I think it still rings true to me months later, and I have a feeling that it's ringing true for many others. You know, the organizations that have figured this out are continuing to thrive, and those who haven't yet face the reality, are going to continue to struggle for talent. Yeah, absolutely. And they're going to see it happening as, as people are walk, is using their feet. <laughs> so yes, yes. I love it. Well, hey, it has been such a pl- And again, half hour always goes way too fast, but it has been such a pleasure to have you on today. And this topic is so wonderful for us as we're still getting into 2023. So thank you so much for your time and talents with us here today. Thank you, Cindy. And if I could just leave the listeners with one more resource, if you want to learn more about how to create a well-being culture, I have a catchy website address, creatingawellbeingculture.com. I hope you'll check it out. We love it. We're so glad. Thank you for sharing that with our listeners. Thanks. All right, Nine to Thrive listeners, just a couple things here. Like I said at the beginning there, if you do have a suggestion for a topic, please send us an email at podcasts at hci.org. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating. Your rating helps other professionals and talent-minded people discover our program. For Nine to Thrive HR and all of us here at HCI, We appreciate you for tuning in. Make it a great day.